Welcome to episode 235 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 139 of Bub and the Batflip. Bub and I will be continuing our position previews with, uh, with first base, which I came in not really liking, um, but I, I'm leaving feeling a little bit better about it. Um, so... Uh, let's see how you feel after listening to the, uh, to the episode. Hopefully it's good. Um, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do leave a rating and review on iTunes. Always appreciate that. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can reach t- uh, Bubba on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 139 to continue our positional previews for the 2023 fantasy baseball season as you can tell from the catchers last week there's three moves today throw it out the window so we'll start we'll go to first base today and this is why we do a, a review of the review of the preview later in the in the draft season to let you know all the fun stuff and things beforehand though you can find me on twitter at bdentric and my coach is always on twitter at batflip crazy toby how we doing man uh, we're doing pretty good, Bubba. Um, I was in Tahoe this weekend and I got nice. we got buried in snow. Nice. And it was like digging four feet of snow out of the car. It was it was it was rough, but we made it. We made right. it for the podcast. That is all that matters. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They got a lot of stuff that needed snow, but a lot of stuff. So I know I got where I live, I don't get a lot of rain. I have like an inch and a half. I know other areas got three to five, like and we don't, we live where I live, not a lot of rain happens. So yeah, it was some nasty storms. Trees were down. And then I saw the news, uh, Tahoe area up that way, got a lot of snow. So a lot of people gonna be heading that way for the holidays. That'll be fun. Yeah. It's a good preview of the first base position. Very cold. <laughs> yes. It, it's a, it's a lot of fun and, and, uh, excitement right out the gate. And then it gets cold and dark really quick. For sure. You got to yeah. dig yourself out. Dig yourself out of the hole if you missed on the early first basement. That <laughs> yeah. is exactly what's going to happen here. So let's just kind of get into it and do like we do each and every time here. Um, the 2022 season, we saw the big guys, you know, Freeman hit for average. Power wasn't there. Probably not too worried about that. Olsen's really, you know, average regressed, but still at the power. You had Pete Alonzo doing amazing things. Paul Goldschmidt, we kind of hit on it last week and other times. He proved once again while well, he's just a monster uh, you got Lerit, though. The, the top's very heavy. But uh, what did you see from 2022 that – is there anything, I should say, that you see in 2022 that will affect your 2023 drafting of the first base position? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, you know, just kind of going through the through everybody. And you had, you had sent me the outline initially, and you had mentioned, like, hey, if there's not any of these, like, middle-tier guys you want to talk about, like, you know, like, we can we can skip over some of them. And that's how I feel about the middle tier of first baseman. I feel like that whole tier, I just don't really want um, a part of them at all. Like there's nothing that really stands out about them. And um, yeah, I just kind of want to steer clear of that. And I think, 
you know, whereas previously, maybe I remember last year, there was some really high caliber players early on, but kind of the goal was to wait a little bit, you know, cause you had this, this, uh, really nice kind of middle tier of guys. Well, as all, all often happens with the middle tier of any position, uh, a lot of those guys really didn't come through. Um, and so I feel like this year it's either, you know, kind of, I don't know if feast or famine is like the best description, but like you either got to get in there early or I would suggest waiting, on, waiting a little bit and maybe taking, taking a, a gamble or a flyer on one of these guys who maybe underperformed what they should have, or maybe underperformed expectations from last year. And, and hopefully, you know, the market misses or doesn't adjust. That that would be how I would approach the position generally, because like I said, I, I couldn't even find two guys that I really wanted to chat about in in eleven through twenty. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Um, a lot of the guys that we you're talking about the pocket last year is like Reese and Votto, Josh Bell. Uh there's like five or six of them. We're like, okay, yeah, we can wait and get them. And it might have been 50-50 if it worked out, probably 30-70. Like Reese worked out, the rest were kind of mm-hmm. make your argument because Votto sure didn't, and some others. Um, and then you look at the top 10 now, Reese is into the top 10. CJ Crone was looking at that group. He's in the top 10. Um, Nathaniel Lowe was in the top 10. So a lot of these guys we were kind of waiting on last year, they've moved up in ADP. And that means the, uh, the trash has moved out of the top 10. And that's like you said, makes it very tricky. And, you know, as the season goes on, ADPs fluctuate, we might see some changes take place, but looking at it now, I don't see a ton that changes place. And that kind of makes me want to go early too. Like I did a gladiator draft and I made a point to just take Pete Alonzo to get all his power and I'll build stolen bases later. Just do it. Um, uh, and then, um, the, the MFPC 50 I've been doing, I think I, I think I either got Reese Hoskins or, um, Jose Abreu, one of those two. I kind of, it's kind of like the catcher's position. I want one of like the top 10, like just give me one of those or we're going to be in trouble because this doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy. So we'll go through these. We'll see what changes come, you know, February when we go over the rest of these again, but, I don't see much at first base catchers. We already have changes first base, not a lot out there. So it's going to be an interesting one to say the least. And it's definitely a position we've talked about in the past. And like I've rehashed time and time again, I keep doing it because I'm a creature of habit and it's not the smart move every year. I'm like, okay, what do I need to prove on my teams? And it seems to be power time and time again. And so that's why another reason I took Pete Alonzo, just get the power. I'll find stolen bases. Like I'll just find it and, and move on from there. And I need to start doing that more because first base, you get like your Goldie gets you a few steals. Vlad actually got you a few steals. Freddie gets you a few. Most of these guys aren't stealing bags. So just get the thump and move on. That's kind of the way I'm starting to look at it at first base. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Let's have fun. And we're going to kick it off with Toby's favorite first baseman, the, his favorite one. And he gave us a pre, like a little preview of uh this episode at the end of a preview review episode, something like that yeah at the um, end of the catchers episode to get you guys a cliffhanger for this episode number one is vladito vladimir guerrero jr first first baseman off the board going around pick 13 in nfc 50s is since uh august 15th so there's been eight drafts since then so an okay sample size we look at vladito you know 32 home runs last year for the 48 home run season did steal eight bags hits 274 so the um, the 2021 season of the tour of shame or whatever Toby was calling it, he didn't quite live up to those standards, but still in the end, 32, 90, 97 with eight steals and 274 is pretty darn solid. And people have him going number one at first base right now. I do not. I have him going high, not number one. 
But um, you said you might be in for shame of tour or whatever you called it, number two coming up. So what do you got on Vladito? Yeah, uh, everybody saddle up. It's uh, it's tour of shame 2.0, I think, is uh, is going to be hitting the road here shortly. Um, I just I don't love Vlad Jr. this year. Um, you know, and I think, I think the reason for that is many reasons. I mean, again, I don't think he's bad. I think he's gotten past the point where any of us can make an argument that he is bad. I will not make that argument. Um, I think he's very good. I just don't understand drafting him at this point. So let's take a look at his batting average. You know, four years in the majors, two, 2,161 plate appearances. You know, 272, 262, 311, 274. All right. Now we're not dealing with like full samples here, but let's combine 2019 and 2020. All right. 24 home runs, 48 home runs, 32 home runs. All right. The strikeout rate hasn't changed. The only year with a walk rate outside of the 8% is 2021 at 12.3%. ISOs, 162, 199, 290, 205. BABIPs, 308, 282, 313, 289. Uh, Ground ball rates, 49.6, 54.6, 44.8, 52.1. So I, you can go down the list of every metric and 2021, just in spite of me was the only one where he really stands out. So the question is, I think in a lot, because the projections love him too. And I love projections, but the projections have him for 40 home runs and the reason they have him for 40 home runs is because they have him at a home run per plate appearance of 6%, which is the highest of any first baseman in the league. Now, last year, he was at 4.5%. So I think a lot of what it boils down to is if you take out the eight hits you know, between 32 home runs and 40 home runs, then his batting average is probably pretty close to two, the 270s like it was last year, right? And so I think the major question is, is his power, is his true power 2021, 2022, or somewhere in between? And my argument would be that 2022 is a much better reflection of the true talent level of Vlad Jr., particularly with you know, the, the change in the ball that we've seen. Um, I just, you know, 2021 sticks out like a sore thumb in every regard, including power. And, and so for me, I, this is just a really long winded way of saying, I think 2021 too, excuse me, is, is, is Vlad jr. I think that's his true talent level more accurate than two, uh, 2021. And I think with the first baseman going later, I think there's an argument to be made that, that uh, there's no point in picking him at this point. Interesting. Um, because to me, 274, 32, eight, that seems like a pretty nice safe line. If that's what you tell me I'm getting, 
That seems pretty good. I especially have to talk about how bad first base is. If I can pencil that in right now, that seems pretty good to me. So before I give, is a that more, good for like eighth pick? That's the problem. That's what I'm saying. He's like that's what I'm saying. He's 13th overall right now. But as we talked about, or 13. Sorry. So, but what? Say you want, say you want either Vlad, Freddie, Pete, or Paul Goldschmidt. The Beatles, basically. Vlad, Vlad, um, so, Paul. Yeah, say you uh, say you want one of those four, and okay. you're picking at the back end of round one because by the end of round two, they're all gone. Do you take Vlad right there, or do you make sure you get Peter Goldie on the way back? Do you make sure you have one of them? Or are you literally going, nope? Because then what it comes down to is if you don't get one of them, this is why it's a conversation I bring up. If you don't get one of them, Matt Olson goes in round three, then you get to wait a bit after that. But um, you start playing chicken because we talk about how bad the position is. So a guy like yourself, who we know likes to go pitching early, likes to go JTR early. Is that why you're just like, I'm not even touching any of these guys pretty much? I'm just going to jump to the, to the back of the top 10 potentially? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think of those four where they're going. I think Freddie Freeman is of, is of interest. Yeah, I took him. I think, I think Freeman... I think Freeman underperformed last year um, in the power department. Hundred percent. And I think that I don't I don't know why he wouldn't regress in a positive way. Um, you know, he's obviously a year older, but I think if you look at Freeman, you know, he hit twenty one home runs last year. And we'll get we'll get to him in a minute. Okay, he's next. I'll wait. But, I'll wait. I'll wait. I, now, now I want to give a slight argument for Vlad. Because I'm not disagreeing. I actually took Freddie over Vlad. I already told you he's not my number one. I have no problem with him going like as the top one of these top four guys. I I could see the argument because I do think his floor is extremely safe, barring like an injury. And one reason why I like his floor so much in the short in 2020, played all 60 games, played 161 in 2021, 160 in 2022. That's a at bat accumulation one on one. Nearly 700 or more at bats the last two seasons. We preach that like over and over again. That's a beautiful thing, especially at a very ugly first base position, especially on a Toronto Blue Jays team that, yes, they made some adjustments to their lineup, still going to be pretty darn good. Like Teoscar not being their stinks, but going to be pretty darn good. So he plays pretty much every day. I'm going to use that in his favor right now. You mentioned um, some other things. If you want to talk, you know, stat cast numbers, best max EV since the uh, 2019 season, 118.4. Uh, 11% barrels, not as good as 15% in 2021, but still second best for his career. Hard hit rate still over 50%. Like he's still doing those things. The biggest difference is you mentioned the ground balls, which was an argument for you in 2020 uh, or 2021 when he went bonkers, but uh, went back to 52% last year and he lost 6% on the fly balls. Literally, let's just say he gets three more percent fly balls because his home run to fly ball rate, you're not going to get 26.5 again. But if he's close to the 20% he was, you give him six more, 6% more fly balls, maybe you're in the 36 ish range of homers like i'm not saying he's going to be the guy we saw in 2021 but the floor he brings is amazing and when we get to freddie i'm going to be on your side on freddie being over him for one major reason but they're basically if you look at adp right now they're going 13.13 13.75 so i think everybody's pretty much like right about the same here and that's where i kind of land um so i just want to at least give some pub because i don't disagree with you in what you said, because he's not the, I don't think he's the guy that the projections have. I'm really curious to see like what the bat comes out with. And then ATC, like to see if there's, because some players we will see big variances. Some we don't see much at all. So I'm curious to see, because Vladdy's kind of a polarizing guy where we might see some, that could be a fun one. Um, but I still think there's still validity to Vlad. 
it's just what you that's why I wanted to get you to say it though. Very tough to take him in the first round. Very tough yeah. to do. And that's the biggest argument for him. I think he's still very good. And I think more than anything is the floor and the playing time. Anyone can get hurt, so don't give me that line, people. But the floor and the playing time he's done for three straight years, I think is pretty darn solid. And that's that's something that I would go to bat with, basically. And that would make me feel a little more comfortable if I had to take him. So that's my Yeah, and I think that that is the best argument, is that the ground ball rate, you know, which is 49.5% for his career, that that is, you know, the 3%, 4%, you know, increase in the, in or decrease in ground ball rate, increase in fly ball and line drive rate um, corresponding like that, I think is the best argument for the power being a little better. Yeah. But I think when you look at, you know, um, yeah, but I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe it is the middle ground, right? Maybe, uh, in between 21 and 22 is what he really is. And then, you know, then he's, I mean, again, he's not going to be, I don't think he's going to be a bad pick. Yeah. I just, I just don't love him. No, it's a fun here. discussion. Cause at least like we're talking about it, like normal people where a lot of people, it's like, no, he sucks. You can't take him blah, blah, blah. Or it's like, at least we're both giving like arguments for any, like that makes sense that like, actually looking at something. So that's why I just wanted to bring it up. Plus we don't want to talk about a lot of guys later. So let's spend some time on Vlad. He's fun. Um, and we'll go there. Let's go to Freddie. Freddie's, like I said, going, he's the second first baseman off the board, essentially going like maybe a half a pick, if you can do that in real life behind uh, Vladito. And he was awesome. And I, I agree with what you already said, you know, 21 homers, but 325, 117 runs, 100 RBIs. It's, you can't take out the short in 2020. That's three straight full seasons, over 113 runs scored. Uh, he's got 100 or more RBIs in th- two out of three. And it's that darned old batting average, Toby. It's that batting average. That's where I'll give you the floor here, but batting average is why I have him above all the first basemen. He's essentially a 300 hitter outside of like a 295. And with the average batting average in baseball dropping to like 235, you can plug in a guy that hits you 300, and I think he'll be back to the 30-plus home run guy. That's pretty tremendous to me. Yeah. Um, I, I find it very difficult to um, be, a, be against Freddie Freeman this year. <laughs> I just think like, you know, um, like you mentioned, the batting average is great. Um, was he maybe a little bit higher than he will be this year? Yes. At 325, yeah. you can't project anywhere. Uh, you can't really project close to that, but I feel much more confident in his 293 projection than the 292 projection that we have, um, for Vlad jr. And then I would argue, like, when you look at Freeman's season last year, you know, he had uh, 52 barrels um, and only 21 home runs. And so when you look at that, his home run to barrel rate last year was 40.4%, which is one of, there's only one player outside of Freeman who had close to the plate appearances that Freeman had that had a lower home run to barrel rate. And so I think that, I think that's one of the reasons why you see him, um, you know, struggling in the way, yeah, uh, you know, from the power department last year. But even if you, even if you give him just the 21, the 25 home run, whatever it is with the 300 batting average, the runs and RBI that he's going to get you. And then the steals again, not counting on 13, but you know, the projection at nine, um, you give me that line and I, I, I love, I love that line. 
obviously you need to factor in the, um, you know, the fact that like with the, with the landscape, it is home runs are more valuable and steals may be a little bit less valuable. Um, so obviously that I think is something you need to take into consideration, but batting average is still a very, um, very scarce, uh, category and to get the number the volume at that batting average from Freeman, I feel a lot more confident in that than I do with Vlad, uh, or the other first baseman. So there aren't many five category studs at first base, especially perennially five category. Like you can almost, there's not many like Vlad got eight steals last year. You can't pencil in most guys for five to six plus every year at first base. And Freeman, you could, he had 13 last year. He's had double digits a few times. He wouldn't be shocked if he put up a 30, 10 season and hit 305 and had 100 and 100. Like that is outstanding at first base. Like that is really, really good. That's good at any position, but especially at first base, that's like pretty, pretty darn good. So I'm with you on everything you said. Like the bad average is the biggest thing. He's going to supply power and it allows you to do because as the drafts go on, at least in the, I've done two or three drafts now you start to see like we and we talk about it, like you know the five category guys leave of course and it's four categories the power the main power dudes later on there's a lot of warts on that thing so if you can get a freddy up top or something that just helps out so so much on, on so much of it so yeah give me freddy i have nothing really more to add there except he's just elite it's gonna be a second year in la so he's probably be more comfortable like i, I like a lot about Freddie. i guess the one argument we'll probably hear this offseason i don't care about it but with the balanced schedule, he won't play as many games in Coors, but I'll still take what he gets in Coors and walk away. So that'll, that'll be fun there. All right. The third first baseman off the board. This is a guy that uh, is a fan favorite, show favorite. Big meat Pete big Polar guy. Bear. Big, big guy. Uh, ADP of 20.5 over the last eight drafts. Uh, third first baseman off the board. And my complaint about Pete a few years back when he hit 231 is I was like, ah, he can't hit for average. Well, he hit 262 with 37 bombs in 2021. He hit 271 with 40 bombs last year. And I have made my apologies. He even stole five bags last year. I've made my apologies. I've already drafted him, like I said. I'm a huge fan of Pete because this guy, if he plays, he played 160 games last year, 152 the year before. As long as he plays like he should, it, I don't see how he hasn't hit at least 35 home runs every single season. And you can when you, again, similar to why I kind of liked Vlad's argument. If you just pencil that in, and he's not going to crush you in batting average and stuff, and you're getting him around later than Vlad, looks pretty juicy to me. Yeah, um, yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a, a great uh, summation of of Big Meat Pete. Um, again, like I think with you know kind of the Vlad comp and some of the other guys. Obviously, Vlad, you know, batting average wise, I think is going to be better than Alonzo. But, you know, Big Meat Pete has improved. He's got his K percentage under under 20%, yep. you know, 18.7% last year. That. Yeah. And then he's just continuously improving. And then, you know, you, you know, the runs in RBI are probably going to be pretty similar as long as they're playing. The steals are going to be pretty similar. Um, so it's really a bat batting average game, but I'd take Alonzo on the over for the home runs, you know, all day. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think I think what you did, what you said, is a pretty good just summation of just at least from a value perspective, preferring preferring Big Meat Pete versus Vlad Jr. Yeah, but not everything's about Vlad Jr. 
you well, know it's, it's not but it makes it fun because it does everyone's, everyone's gonna remember the fact that toby doesn't like that's that'll be the headline they won't understand what you said it'll be toby doesn't like vlad again i know well i to be honest with you i missed it i missed posting those gifts it gave me as you could as you guys have seen my twitter presence has declined you know dramatically since the tour of shame 2.0 and i really just want to get back tweeting between tour of shame hansel not being around like eddie rosario's down season you just had a rough go of it last season we gotta we gotta get some new brand new toby brand guys on here for for 2023 you got to go back. You got to keep on going back to that well. Oh boy. The well of self self-loathing. Boxburger, that was another good one. You had your little you have your 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 repertoire for uh, some of them for sure. Yeah. All right, fourth first baseman off the board. It's pretty crazy to say fourth. It, it makes sense after what we just talked about, but Paul Goldschmidt going up at 28.25 the end of round 2 in these 15 team DCs. And you know, when we previewed last year Toby, we were like, wow, 294, 31, 12. 102 now like that's an amazing year you know he's gonna be 34 he's gonna be good but not that good he was toby at 317 with 35 homers seven stolen bases 106 and 115 that's two four five straight years over 30 home runs six of the last seven over 30 home runs um getting older keeps doing it what are your thoughts on paul goldschmidt because you're waiting for that other shoe to drop and everyone's arguing well st louis is a bad hitters ballpark didn't stop him so yeah <laughs> Yeah, it did not stop him. Um, I wish I had more of him. The one league I had him in, I actually, I did end up winning, um, which was, uh, which was really nice. Um, he's always, he's always been good at some point in time. He's not going to be good yep. um, anymore. Like he was the second half of last season, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he's really good. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I, he's, he's a tough one. I mean, the projections are a lot, are a lot lower or decently lower on him. I think the batting average, which makes sense. Um, Babbitt at 368 last year was the highest since 2015. So I can see the batting average going down. He's in the middle of that order. He's getting a number, another little helper in there and Wilson Contreras. So, um, yeah, I, I like Goldie, but I don't. I don't think I probably take him here. I think last year, you know, with with you know where he was going and falling, I think in drafts towards the end of the um, uh, end end of the draft season, just because there was a glut of first baseman that people liked in those kind of middle rounds. Um, but not as into him right here because I think a little bit of question about the power and the batting average. Another year older. Again, doubt Goldie at your own risk, but there's a lot more downside this year, I think, than there than there has been um, in the past. And the one thing I'll say too, and as I do this analysis, is it's incomplete in the sense that you know I do not have multiple projection systems to aggregate and determine what that dollar value is using SGP from last year. So um, factor that in as I as I talk through these pieces. But I I have some questions about the risk reward of him at this at this juncture. Yeah, we had the same questions last year. I think they're still viable because, like, he was going to be 34. Now he's going to be 35. Like, father time eventually catches up. Um, and I think last year, even you still got him at like a fifth round discount or so. You weren't having to pick. Now you literally, you're in the top two rounds. So now you have to really sit there and go, like, let me pull up overall ADP because I just have the first base up here. So when you look at Goldie now, I picked 28 point uh, at 28.25. Like, you have Classe, Alcantara, Edwin Diaz going right before him. 
right after him, we got Lindor, McClanahan, DeGrom, JTR is right there. So it makes you um, – there's a lot of pitchers. You got JTR and then some uh, shortstops hanging around there. So it just kind of makes you – I guess your strategy, do, do I want a first baseman early? Because like we talked about, after Goldie, you can wait another round or so and get Matt Olson, and then it just drops off pretty quick. And there's still some talent, but it's a lot – you get a few rounds until it gets there. So I think if you want one of the big catchers, you to me, you want one of the top four. I think Olsen's obviously still very good. I'm not going to downplay that, but I think there's lots of – he's got one of the bigger ceiling floor situations and probably the whole thing we talk about right here. Where I think these top four guys, outside of maybe father time with Goldie, all four bring a pretty solid floor to battle for you, which you'd hope early in the draft, but it's pretty darn good. All right. The aforementioned Matty Olson at the fifth first baseman at the board, 42.8880p. And it's fun, though, because you look at uh, men's and maxes, he's gone as high as 31, five picks after Goldie. So he's some some people do the whole, oh, no, I didn't get one of the top four guys, and I pushed up, I got to get one of the top five. And now you're talking to Matt Olson on the 2-3 turn. <laughs> it's a little spicy, folks, <laughs> a little spicy on that one. But Olson coming off a 240 season after that 271 average. 34 homers in his first year in Atlanta. We saw a lot more. The batting average or the uh, strikeout rate kind of came back up, not to the craziness, but back to kind of what we we think with Olsen, Toby. So what's your thought on Matt Olsen? Because he was expensive for Matt Olsen's standards last year from the past, so I wasn't really in on him. He's kept that price tag this season. Yeah, I think I think last year is a pretty good articulation of of, of who Matt Olsen is. And that's a very good player. I just, you know, again, it's one of those, I'm just not sure this is the spot where I want to be taking that profile. No. Um, and so I think he's good. I think he'll do what he did last year, this year. And that's pretty good. But I don't know if I want to take it. Yeah, when I see Matt Olson's profile, people have listened to this show for any duration of time. There's a guy we're going to talk about in five picks that is that profile or better than that profile. And I will go to bat for that time and time again. So there's a reason why I will probably never have Matt Olson on my roster when I can wait a couple rounds and get some some candy to take to the movies. And so we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. But Reese's Pieces, if for those that don't listen to the show. Wow, those are it's a great candy, a very underrated candy. Very it loses, underrated. Loses a lot of um publicity because of of its belonging to the Reese's family. So the peanut butter cup. Yeah, it just gets kind of yeah. like the red it's like the redheaded stepchild and just gets totally ignored. It's kind of bullshit if you it ask is. me. Because like I people, would like, rather people prefer eat... MMs. I'd rather have a Reese's pieces any day of the week. I personally. would be eating Reese's pieces all day long when given the the choice between Reese's pieces and Reese's peanut butter cups. Now don't get me wrong. I am a fan of Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh yeah. But Reese's pieces have a special taste. Yes. And you can put them on Frozen yogurt on ice cream, all very tasty right there. And they're kind of sneaky where the, the, the peanut butter cups, they crumble. It's still good, but that sneakiness of the recipes. And for those that like to get real crazy, I know people like to put like chocolate chips and stuff in their popcorn. They'll put some Reese's Pieces in their popcorn. They'll be very happy with that. Be very happy. That is that. unbelievable. Just going to throw it out there. Okay. I have a little bit of a sad story. Oh, um, no. So, oh, no. yeah. So a few weeks ago, I was uh, driving home. And uh, whenever I drive home, I fly into Sacramento. And whenever I drive home and it's just me, I always stop at Dairy Queen of on course. the way home. Got to get the, a blizzard. The one, in, the one in Roseville, right? Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you got it. There are actually, 
I mean, I've been to a lot of Dairy Queens in my day. The Dairy Queen in Roseville, California is easily, the staff there are incredible. Um, just wonderful people and just a great place to get um, a dessert. So I'm, I'm there and I'm ordering and I'm like the usual, which is a blizzard, you know, medium or large uh, with uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and extra, extra, extra Reese's. You got to emphasize the extra when you're saying it. So extra, extra, extra Reese's. I'm not kidding. You cannot put too much Reese's peanut butter cups in here, but I wanted to mix it up a little bit. And so I was like, Hey, could you do Reese's peanut butter cups? A lot of them, but then could you also throw in some Reese's pieces? And do you want to know what they told me? They said, no, they said, we don't, we don't have Reese's pieces anymore. Oh, we got to find you a foster freeze or something. Then they just lost business. It's unacceptable. No, I mean, I would never turn away from Dairy Queen. I know. But that, that is, I mean, well, I guess you're, I guess you're going to stop at the gas story. station next to Dairy Queen and go pick up some Reese's Pieces and put them in there yourself. Well, <laughs> that's a really good idea. That might be the I next will probably option. do that next time. Now, so was that the same order you got in Arizona two years ago? Yes. Always so the good. same it was one. so good because I got the same thing. I said, that sounds amazing, Toby. I want the same thing. It's so good. So, so good. good. Yeah, so good. it was perfect. You know what else is so good? At least to so many people on Twitter. So many people. Yeah. Vin, Vinny Pascatino, because we like a good Italian breakfast, apparently. Um, and before we start maybe throwing some shade around here, I like Vinny P. I think he's a talented player. Problem for me is the sixth first baseman off the board to pick 90. Not sure I'm there yet with Vinny P. Maybe I'm not seeing this properly, but he, hit, uh, he did hit 295 in 72 games. He's not standing, 10 homers, one steal. Seems great. People love him. I've seen awesome posts for it. I'm still hesitant. But what do you have to What are your thoughts on Vinny P? I think he's very, very good. I guess I just wish the price tag wasn't this price. Yeah. Yeah, the price is the price is pretty high. Price is pretty high. He's a very good player. I mean, I think the argument is obviously the batting average is going to be elite. The guy doesn't strike out. He makes a high quality of contact. Um, you could easily argue, you know, the 298 plate appearance sample is, is a nice one. You could easily argue, you know, that he underperformed in home runs, you know, 20 barrels, only 10 home runs. So about 50% barrel per home run. So you could add a couple on there and, and you wouldn't be, um, in trouble, multiply that by two, you know, you're looking at a 295 average with 24, 25 home runs. Um, I think the challenge is maybe, you know, and I think this is, I think, I think the challenge maybe a little bit is the power, the place he plays, the lineup he's going to be in. Mm -hmm. I think that takes away from it. And, and you can see it a little bit with the runs and RBI, you know, that he had last year where he certainly got very unlucky. I should actually, I should actually look at this. Um, let's see his stats and, and uh, where did this, where this guy. Okay. Vinny P. Yeah, this is, this is ridiculous. 8.4% runs per plate appearance and an 8.7% RBI per plate appearance. You know, the runs per plate appearance is ridiculous given you know, how consistently he's getting on base with a 12% walk rate and a 295 batting average, you know, just, just to give you a sense of where that ranks. So Vinny P 
last year. Now, this is players that, you know, granted, this is only first baseman that had 50 or more plate appearances last year, but he ranked 59 out of 79 first baseman in runs per plate appearance, despite having a a totally great OBP. Um, And then in RBI, he was also towards the bottom, um, which is just, I mean, way down there. Yeah. Again, um, he was 60th out of, so he was very unlucky last year. So I don't think that's going to happen again, but I do worry a little bit just because the talent is so shallow and that ballpark really does have an impact. I think we see that, you know, we saw that we've seen that with so many guys. And so that's just something that we, I think we need to factor in. And so I think I don't hate it because I think it's a very solid profile. You're not gonna, I don't think it's going to go awry too much, but I do think that the ceiling is capped out just a little bit because of the, the environment that he plays in. And it, I guess it makes sense. The guy that's going right after him, I see a lot of similarities between, between him and Nathaniel Lowe. I could see mm-hmm. the you know low twenty ish to maybe mid twenty power. And Vinny P might tap into more. You listen to some prospect guys; they say there's like legit. That, that's why they call him Italian breakfast. Or like there's there's a lot there that maybe he still hasn't unleashed yet. So maybe it's also get on the train now and hope it happens. But I think you you a lot of that stuff you talked about about just being in Kansas City, Coffin Stadium. That's rough. Um, it is funny because we talk about their offense because it was a bad offense. But then we have Vinny, Salvi, Melendez, Bobby Witt, all going in the top 90 picks, which is pretty crazy to think about. We have four of their nine hitters going that high. Um, so, yeah, he's a tough one. Like Looking at his profile, like I see a lot of Nathaniel Lowe, who we're going to talk about next. I guess another way you could say it's maybe it's a poor man's like Freddie Freeman that if you ever hit a ceiling to get closer to that just because the bag and everything brings compared to others at first base. I don't think he'll ever steal like Freddie. I don't know, if he, but like the power, I could see maybe both hitting 30. It's just a tough one for me because it's a lot of what ifs, what ifs I could see, I could see where I could go and draft someone else. And I, I'm a safe drafter. That's my problem. So this is just one of those that if I get it wrong with Vinny P, I, I want to root for him. I've talked about it on shows that I love his Twitter presence. He's absolutely amazing. He's he's awesome. He took pictures in Italy by a sign that said Italian breakfast and took a picture of it. He's all, now I know what it is too, guys, and took a picture and posted it. He posted a picture on the freeway driving by Coffin Stadium the other day and said, sorry, next time I'll Photoshop out the trash because uh, there's trash all over the freeway. Like it's just, He's just a funny young kid enjoying life. Oh, I don't want to root for him. He's playing out on my fantasy team, unfortunately. That's the, Yeah, and I think one thing about that Royals lineup is that's a good fantasy lineup, but for like real then life. real baseball lineup. You know, it's like... Melendez, you're like, oh, I'm I'm only drafting him because he can play catcher, right? Yep. And then it's like Bobby Witt. It's like, ah, oh, Bobby Witt's like power speed combo, yep. but he doesn't have a great OBP. He's not necessarily like a great hitter at, in actuality. Even Salvi P, I mean, great hitter, great guy, wonderful. Yep. Also OBP of like 300, you know? Um, a lot of OBPs of like 300 in that lineup. Um, and so I think that makes generating those counting stats a little little challenging 100 percent. seventh first baseman on the board i talked about a second ago nathaniel low going to pick 94.38 as high as 86 finally put it together 27 homers 302 average um only a couple steals but second full season in texas he played 157 games in each season i love the consistent playing time i believe he's at least a low to mid 20 power guy and i think he's gonna hit for he's not hitting for 302 
But uh, I think he's a pretty darn solid ball player. Like, we know what we're going to get with Nathaniel Lowe. To me, that's what I feel like. I know what we're going to get with him. Where Vinny has a lot of question marks still. So it's like if you're if you miss out on the big five or whatever, and you're trying to get one of these guys before the cliff starts to fall off, Nathaniel Lowe, I feel like we're got a really good idea of what we're getting in, in compared to to Vinny P. So what do you got on Nathaniel Lowe? Yeah, um, Lowe is Lowe is definitely very interesting. Um, I like him a lot. I don't know if I like him here. Wasn't he like a 200 something ADP last year? Like yeah, he was, he was like, like he was like the two, second pocket that we talked mid about. Mid 200s. Yeah, I had him on, yeah. on, a, on, a, on a few teams. Um, I mean, there are things that I really like. Like he he's consistently had a very high Babbitt throughout his career. So while 363 is is high and it's going to drop, you know, it's not necessarily outrageous. You know, he had the 27 home runs on 44 barrels, which is a very reasonable around league average rate you know he dropped his ground ball rate um you know over the course of the full season although it shot up towards the end right so just kind of the ebb and flow the ebb and flow you know of the ebb and flow of nathaniel low so i just think it's poetry this podcast second second show back and he's already picked up where he left off guys just took a little knock the rest off here he is holy cow um so I do, I do like him. And I think the Rangers have done a lot. Like, I think you got to believe in their pitching in their, in their hitting staff and what they're able to do with hitters, just based on the growth that we saw last year from, you know, a few, a few players. I'm just, I'm just not sure if this is where I'm grabbing a low profile. I'm not sure if there's anything that's like great. The batting average is going to be really good. I think. I'm not quite sure anything else will be that good for me to take him in the top 100. No. I think. Yeah, because there's, and I know I keep hinting, but there's two guys coming up that I'd rather have if I don't get one of the top four. Let's just put it that way. And that's what makes it tough. I do like Nathaniel Lowe a lot, but you also hit on it. We were getting him at post 200 last year, which is pretty nice. This is a little different story at this point in time, but the offense is better. Still a bad ballpark, but. Seager and Simeon, and maybe they'll make another move. They're spending money in Texas. They're doing something. So maybe they bring another guy. Who knows? That'll, that'll keep things a little spicy. The eighth first baseman off the board, and this is a guy that got a bunch of helium last year and more this year, C.J. Cron, pick 123.38. This one's interesting, Toby. 257 average is kind of what we expect from C.J. 29 homers, kind of what we expect from C.J. Problem is, like, the line looks decent kind of what you expect from cj but i know you know the answer to this those home road splits are devastating with cj chrome and if we just care about the end stats that's fine but if you want to play the game and you know try to sit them and start them and stuff it could be a pain in the butt so what do you like about cj chrome yeah i just don't i just don't love it um i think last year was the first year he's had 600 plate appearances in his age, you know, he's going to be 33 when the season starts. Yep. He's a likely trade candidate, um, given that his contract is ending at the end of the, you know, he becomes a free agent at the end of the year. I'm just, there's just nothing that he does that's special. Even last year, fantastic year, great year for him. I don't think he repeats that. And just like health wise and everything wise. So, I just don't, I don't want to be 
drafting that profile there. I'm with you. It's tough. It's very tough. And we're CJ Crone fans, but that's what we kind of hinted at at the beginning of the show is so many of the guys that moved to the top 10 that we liked last year, we're not going to like them this year because they moved into the top 10. They went, the ADPs just changed the entire game for what we're getting because their profile didn't change. That's the problem. They didn't like, they didn't make a change that goes, yes, they are a 35 home run guy. No, they didn't. That's the, that's the problem right there. Where like, at least with like Goldie last year, you could be like, okay, well, that was like, yeah, okay, we, we got something here. That wasn't the case. All right. The man that I can talk about on any show at any time, Reese Hoskins, ninth first baseman off the board. That's moved up a bit. Pick 123, as high as 113. And this is why I don't understand why I would take some other guys without waiting. 246, 30 home runs. The runs and RBIs are, are the, some of the better ones in his career. Less to be desired, I could say. You'd hope for more there. But the power, the average is what you're going to get from CJ. He's a 246, 247, 245, 226, 246. Like, you know what you're getting from CJ Crone. I mean, some Reese Hoskins. But the power is legit. I've argued this on Blue in the Face every offseason. When I talk about Reese Hoskins, people say he can't do it. And the other thing before I give it to Toby, everyone said it was injuries. Played 156 games last year. He was injured in 2021, but it was 160 and 153 prior to that. So the injury-prone thing, I don't agree with either. So I'm biased because I like the guy, but I will take his value almost every draft season at this position. Yeah. Um... Toby's going to tell me I'm wrong because the runs and RBIs do stink. I'll tell you that much. And I would expect more in that lineup, but somehow it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's still, it's still, it's still pretty solid. Um, I mean, yeah, I think he's, give it to me, Toby. Don't be shy. Give it to me. I can see it. on your No, face. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think it's kind of what you said. I mean, and one of the things I think that's really important, especially for somebody who has drafted like I have in the past is being able to adjust to the new environment that we have, right? Like if we're, yeah. if we're putting a lot more onus on the 2022 ball and the fact that we think that that might happen uh, again, then you have to bump up that, the, the power potential. I think there's something to be said for his consistency when healthy, um, both in terms of batting average, which is not the best, but is in the 240s. You know, the home run, the power is in, you know, you can't really argue with that. Harper's going to be out, so that's a little bit of a hit maybe, but then you're adding Trey Turner in, yep. you know, so it's it's still a really good lineup. Everything is solid there. So I, and then I struggle a little bit like, you know, what was his OBP? You know, his OBP is is higher than league average, but he's not getting runs necessarily. I think... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to plug in that projection, especially with like maybe a slightly higher batting average, because I think that's kind of who he is as a player. So I think he's fine here. I think he's fine here. Actually, the reason why for all these guys, you know, I just wouldn't even touch him as the next guy we talk about. Yeah, I have zero problem. Like the fact he's the 10th off the board is pretty amazing. Um, and it goes back to your, I want to get a bounce back guy. Here's your guy. One last thing on Reese Hoskins, which is going to be interesting because right now in roster resource, obviously Bryce Harper out for probably the first half of the season. Turner, Schwarber, they have Hoskins third with JTR and then Castellanos and company behind him. But we know JTR can drive guys in, snatch it up with the runs. Turner should get on base a lot. Just depends if Schwarber drive them all in. Cause I could, I'd love to go back and look at the lineups day in and day out. Like Schwarber hit almost 50 home runs. Harper did his like, where did Hoskins just, is he just in the middle? Is kind of, you know, solo home running it to death, trying to figure it out. So that, cause there's too much talent in that lineup to have 
the runs and RBIs. Yes, that's very interesting to me. All right, 10th first baseman off the board, and this is a amazing value on paper. And I would be – anything could happen, I'd be surprised. if This this feels like Jose Altuve last year, Toby, when we talked about values at positions because he had a quote-unquote down 2020 so, or 2021. 20, well, same team now because Jose Abreu is a Houston Astro. He's going to pick 127 right now, which is pretty funny to me. And it's because he only hit 15 home runs, Toby. Only 15 home runs last year. Still hit 304. Still had 85 runs and 75 RBIs. But only 15 home runs, Toby. He, he's, he can't hit home runs anymore, apparently. So no one wants to draft him. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I love Abreu um, a lot. Um, going where he's going. I mean, you mentioned he hit 304. Um, you know, probably he hit, he had a 350 Babbitt. So I don't think that's going to be sustainable. But the, the number that jumps out to me the most is he had 15 home runs on 47 barrels, yep. Bingo. which was a 31.9% home run per barrel rate. You know, um, so the barrel rate was solid. It was actually like pretty similar to um, like Freddie Freeman's and CJ Crohn's and, you know, a lot of the guys who hit for, um, well, although Freeman didn't hit for a ton of power, but it's not like an elite number, but it's good. It's good enough. And so, you know, even if you give him, um, you know, 50% of those, right. You're, he's hitting in the mid twenties all of a sudden. Um, you know, so I, I see no reason why he can't hit like 280 with 30 bombs and then a ton of counting stats in that lineup, um, as well. Um, so I really like him a lot and I find it hard to draft really any of those, you know, any of the Olsen, I mean, even the Goldie through Hoskins because of Abreu. Well, Abreu used to be that guy that went around Goldie every year and he somehow dropped this far because of that one season. Yeah. That was the funny one. Yeah. This reminds me of his, of his season, However long ago it was. It was after he, 2018. Yeah, he had like a really bad batting average, right? Yeah. He had 265 yeah, and only was... played 128 games because he's played 152 or more every, at six of the last seven seasons, and he played all 60 in 2020. The dude plays games. And that was the one season where he got hurt for a little bit, so he dropped. <laughs> it's like, unless he's broken, which I don't think he is, he is going to be 36, so you got that conversation going, but... I think a lot of that's baked into the price. I think it's baked in too much. Like at worst, he hits 20 to 25 home runs and hits 285-ish plus and probably drives in 100 in that lineup unless Jordan drives them all in. That's at worst. Like You wouldn't be shocked if he hits 300 again. You wouldn't be shocked if he hits 30-plus homers with the Crawford boxes in right, right or left. Like you, A lot of this wouldn't shock you at all when you see it. So um, I'm with you, 100% with you on this one. And I would imagine when we re-talk about first base in February, I think he's closer to Vinny P. That I think he'll probably get a two to three round jump in ADP. Yeah, once, I, I once think people I start seeing, I don't think he jumps the Vinny P to Matt Olson because that's like from ninety to like forty five. But I think he's closer to Vinny P. Right by the time we do this again, mm. I think people will start to look into the numbers. Like just the, even the little few that you mentioned. Keep digging deeper. Second best hard hit rate of his entire career was last year. Like so many little things. And I just love the one you talked about. We talked about a lot throughout the years. Barrels per like barrels per home run, or that percentage deal, or home runs per barrel, and how far off he is from the league average. 
that speaks volumes to what took place there. So 100% with you on that. Yeah. I mean, one thing about uh, Abreu, I'm just looking at it, you know, his pulled fly ball rate has dropped the last yes. two years. That was a big one. But the home run per fly ball on those pulled uh, fly balls has dropped considerably as well um, by like 28.6% last year, his pulled fly ball home run rate uh, was 28.6% last year compared to 68%, 60%, 60%, you know, the, the previous years. So I think there is a reason why that power maybe is diminishing a little bit with that, the new ball with, with more oppo uh, fly balls that he's hitting, but I don't think it at all accounts for the level of drop that we've seen in his power. And yeah, I think that's for, why you saw how excited the Astros were. Oh, yeah. Very smart organization. Well, I was say, first, like Freddie Freeman had the same thing last year in LA, a lot of opposite field fly balls. So that was one thing that he had to adjust from. But when it comes to Abreu, who I think we can all agree is a very good professional hitter, just a great hitter in general. Now he's going to go to that clubhouse with Bregman with all the pulls on runs, Altuve with all the pulls on runs, the coaching staff that taught those guys how to do that. Pretty sure a Brady in one offseason can talk to those guys for a little bit and figure out how to pull the ball just a bit more, just a bit. I'm not saying it's got to reinvent the wheel, but he seems like that kind of hitter where he can he can figure something like that out. Just just a hunch to me. Could be wrong. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But at that price tag, I'm with you. I'd be willing to find out. I could, I'd be willing to guess he's going to hit 25-plus home runs next year. Just going to throw that out there. But maybe he goes the way of Joey Votto. We'll see. Poor Joey. We'll see where it goes there. All right. Now it gets real fun. As Toby said earlier, 11 through 20. This is good. It's uh, ADP 136 to 189. Christian Walker, Andrew Vaughn, Jose Miranda, Anthony Rizzo, Ryan Mountcastle, Ty France, Rowdy Telez, Branch Drury, Joey Manises, Jake Cronenworth. You want to talk about hitting a cliff and falling fast? We have done this, Toby. Um, so I'll let you have the floor first, I guess. Um, what's one that we usually do two each. We might share one here and we'll see, but, uh, what do you like here at uh, the 11 through 20? Yeah. Uh, nothing. I would, I would pass on this whole, um, on this whole group, honestly, but if I had to take, um, if I, well, I will preface this by saying, I think they're a little bit, um, interesting. You know, Anthony Rizzo is interesting to me. Um, clearly, he's got the power. You know, he's playing in Yankee Stadium, which helps, I think, because he pulls the fly, pulls fly balls well um, or benefits from, from that short porch, at least. Um, his major downfall in recent years has been, you know, the huge decline in both the... Um, uh, is in in his batting average, um, which is largely BABIP driven, you know, 218 BABIP, 216 BABIP, 258 BABIP. Um, and, you know, I think it's too, it's too much to say that he's going to be one of the guys that benefits the most. You know, I think it's hard to say, and it's hard to know how. Uh, your mic rules. Just oh, there you go. You're good. No, you're good now. Bend, you're good bend the rules when it comes to the shift, but he seems like a clear guy that could um, benefit from that, um, from a Babbitt perspective. Um, he does, he hits the ball in the air a ton. So I don't know whether he'll adjust that approach now with, you know, given that, but 
last year was a little bit extreme. I mean, it was essentially 10% higher than the previous year and any year before that, his, his uh, fly ball rate. So I think that will also help his batting average just a little bit. Health is obviously a concern, but I think, you know, with everything said and done, you could easily see him putting up a similar season to, you know, no offense, a Reese Hoskins or a CJ Cron, but going um, a decent amount um, later. Again, I'm not convinced of that. Like I still wouldn't draft him, but I think it's at least interesting to kind of think about how he might be impacted by some of the rule changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the short portion, right. I love like, he's a guy I didn't want any, anything to do with last year. And the batting average kind of made me feel better about it, but the power's legit. I, I don't think it's going to change next year because he's going to be in the same ballpark, same situation, and the batting average might improve to go with the power, like you said. I don't hate it. Um, with the ugliness at first base we talked about, I don't see how he's going this far back compared to some other guys ahead of him. It's like I'm with you on that as well. Um, if you have a good batting average base going into your draft, I honestly don't have a problem if you've missed on first base taking a guy like Rizzo. At least we've seen the pedigree with him where we've seen him hit for average before, and he's still not old. He's still pretty young. So you've at least seen it there where, like, you have, like, the Joni Manisis and these guys, and it's like, are we really buying this again? Like, really? Like, so I'd rather take my shots on an Anthony Rizzo than have to get stuck with the, one of these other guys. And, like, he's he's grown on me already the first couple of months of my research here where I'm like, Okay, last year I crossed him off. This year it's like, okay, if the draft falls the wrong way, I can live with that one at least. I can I can go with that because at worst, my problem is always power. I think it gets me 30-plus home runs in that ballpark, which should be RBIs and runs will come with that. So I, I can see an argument for Rizzo. Like you said, I'd rather not get stuck with Rizzo, but I can see the argument for Rizzo at that point in the draft. All right, for me, um, this is where it gets fun because I'm just purely speculating here, but I'm going to go with Andrew Vaughn. He's going at 141. I've been a big Vaughn guy. If you guys listen to my DFS content, I'm always on Vaughn. He's always cheap. It's just a matter of uh, Uncle Tony playing him or not and the inconsistency of how he played him. When he played regularly, he hit the ball well. He didn't. He didn't, of course. Um, and there's still some like things that are of concern, but for me, it's his age. He was a, one of the best pure hitters in all college baseball before he got drafted. He's going to be 25 this year. 17 home runs last year, hit 271. I think the average is legit. He's proven that every step of the way they hit for average. I think the power is to come because he lowered his batting average, which was great to see. Had the 17 home runs, but you know, the barrel rate went down. Hard hit rate was better, though. Um, and the biggest thing to me is the ground ball rate went up. And the fly ball rate obviously dropped with that. And similar to players mentioned before, he has the opposite field home run issue or fly ball issue. He has a big one of those. But again, young player with a very good hitting mindset. I'm, I, the fact he's young, I think he can kind of adapt. Maybe it's not this year, but I think we're going to see like people realize, especially with the new regime coaching in Chicago, they might start actually looking into some of this stuff, hopefully. I think the talent is legit as legit can be. Now, does he do it this year? I don't know. But he's a guy, again, if you miss it on the top guys, I have no problem taking Andrew Vaughn as a speculation of maybe a guy taking the next step to get you the 20 to 25 home runs. He legit could be a better Reese Hoskins, and it wouldn't shock me because he'll hit for he will hit for average. I'm pretty confident in that. Just will the power come with it? So that's my thoughts on Andrew Vaughn. What else you got? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to take any guys in this range, honestly. <laughs> and you pick the one guy that is of interest to me um, as well. Like, I would take him over Rizzo for sure. Um, the guy you're going to talk about next. So yeah. I want to talk about him. I mean, I do think that Ty France is interesting kind of interesting yeah um 
you know, pick 165. I think he's established himself as a good, he's a good hitter. I don't think he's excellent at anything, but I think he's good at a lot of things. So I can, I can easily see, let's see what his, let me just see what his projection here um, looks like. Um, sorry, I should have been, I should have been more prepared to have it right in front of me. There it is. There it is. So his projection is 23 home runs, 87 runs, 80 RBI, one steal and 272 batting average. So I think plus across the board and in today's landscape where home runs are worth a little bit more, you know, um, the 23 isn't, isn't soul crushing at all. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's really solid. So I think Ty France is interesting because he's, I think he's a good hitter and I think he does everything well, except for steel, of course, but you know, most first basemen don't. Exactly. Most don't. That's what makes those big guys up top so much more valuable. Um, my guy that you said you liked also, so you can throw in some insights if you want at the end here is Ryan Mountcastle. And honestly, again, maybe I'm naive of the situation. When we look at this list of guys here, how he's 15th on this list is pretty surprising to me. Like we saw him hit 250 last year, which is pretty much who he is 250 to 250, 255 the year before projections, 255. It's kind of who he is. 22 home runs. We know they messed with him at the ballpark. He had 33 the year before. Elite power. Plays 144, 145 games. Um, strikes out a bit. Like his numbers are almost identical across the board. Lower ISO, but a lot of that's that new freaking left field in that ballpark. Uh, projections still have him for 26 home runs, which will be good. But, you know, Max EV was fine. Barrel rate 15%, the best of his career. Hard hit rate 45.8, best of his career. If you believe in X stats, he technically underachieved. Um, ground ball rate still a little high, but not too bad. The fly ball rate's great. A home run to fly ball that could be improved again. Left field at Orioles Park screwed him up there, and that's not going to change, obviously. So I keep saying it, and that is going to be a problem. At the same time, this dude power is legit, and if he can somehow just tweak it a little bit more, like he could easily be back in that 30 home run range, and he's going to hit for 250 plus average. Very good ball player. Again, I know I love my, I have my love for Reese's pieces, and like my, I'm kind of blind. Ryan Mountcastle is 100% fine compared to Reese Hoskins. I was, I will not argue that one at all. So, yeah, I like Reese. I mean, um, Mountcastle, he's on my brain. So uh, what do you got on Mountcastle that you liked so much? Yeah, you know, um, I would say that I would draft Ryan Mountcastle. I actually like him. Um, and I blame you for stealing him from me to talk about. Um, <laughs> but... You know, this is actually super interesting. His his O swing dropped dramatically as the season progressed because we know that he's like one of the league's worst in O swing, or he has been throughout his career over forty percent. But he dropped it over his last forty games to thirty four point three percent, and it wasn't like, I mean, starting with game, you know, starting on July thirty first, you know, midway through the season, it was all downhill from there when it came to his O swing, uh, hard hit rate also shot up at the same time. You know, the contact rate stayed the same, which is about, you know, league average across the board. And then I think one of the things that really stands out for me, and you mentioned the impact that the, that the moving the stadium, uh, fences back had on him, which is certainly something we need to account for. But last year he had 61 barrels, which is the same number of barrels it's tied for the most barrels of any first baseman with Matt Olson. It's actually more barrels than Vlad Jr. and Pete Alonso. 
um, had at 61 for Mount Castle. The problem was only 36.1% of those, um, of those barrels went for home runs, which again, puts him between Abreu and Freddie Freeman at, for the lowest, um, home run per barrel rates. And so I think, I think Mount Castle's really solid here. I like him outstanding. hundred percent with you on that one. So, and let me triple check. Do, do, do. No, he's only first base only this time around, but yeah, he is one that you could uh, target for sure. All right. Past 20 ADP, it's pick 194 and beyond. Toby, we each have two guys again. There's a couple that are okay. Most of it's still pretty ugly. Like one I'm going to talk about, I'm not like, in love with, but I can see the appeal. So um, what's your first one post ADP 20? Um, Miguel Vargas, uh, the Dodgers is very interesting. I mean, I think you need to, I'll, I'll caveat this by saying that steamer, as I mentioned last time, generally is higher on prospects than other, other systems are. So I think it will take, you know, when the bad X comes out and, um, uh, ATC comes out and other projection systems kind of come out. Um, I think I'll have a better sense of where I actually rate him. But, you know, right now, Steamer has him at 504 plate appearances, which if he comes in and he hits, I think is a little low. You know, I think they've talked about giving him that third base job. I mean, Justin Turner could always come back, but he's likely to have that first base, third base um, eligibility. And then I think, um, I think 18 home runs, uh, 63 runs, 65 RBI, eight steals with a 264 average for Vargas. Um, he qualify. Yeah. He qualifies in first base. I was like, I was like, does he qualify for first base? He does qualify for first base. Um, yeah. So I think he can do pretty much everything. And so if you say that 504 plate appearances, and then you say, well, let's just give him 600 plate appearances. You know, that's a very, it's a very Thai France line with a little bit of speed. Um, with, I think, a little bit of potential to be more. So I think it's a high ceiling, maybe lowish floor pick, mm-hmm. but I think Vargas is really interesting. Going yeah, I'm with goal. you on the, the interesting part for sure. It's just, will they play him enough? They should. Right now they have to. Um, and yeah, I'm with you 100%. That could be a good one, a good lineup too, even with the loss of Trey. Still a very, very good team to, to back behind. Uh, for me, it's a guy I just can't quit. Um, Josh Naylor, ADP of 218. People are like, oh, they got Josh Bell. That doesn't matter. Everything I've read already, and I trust me, when it first happened, I was angry because I love the value on Josh Naylor. And I know he doesn't hit lefties well, so he platoons a lot, but he still plays about 100 and he played 122 games last year. He projected for 130. Um, everything, even Terry Francona said, he said the first thing he's going to do is call Josh to see if he's cool with first base DH and maybe play more outfield because they want Josh's bat in the lineup. That's all I care about for fantasy. I don't care where he plays, just be in the lineup. So uh, at this point of ADP, I'm a fan because if I can get a guy that's going to hit for an okay average, again, in this era, 256 last year, 253, 247, 249, he's essentially a 250-ish hitter, which in this era, totally fine. Especially at his ADP. 20 home runs last year, six stolen bases, finally healthy for his standards. And still, and the funny thing is he played 122 games. I think if you remember, Toby, he missed like the first month or two because he had an injury going into the season. So in theory, even with platooning, if he plays a full season, maybe he's more 140. Now we're really sitting pretty. 
So, like, that's totally fine, again, in this era of baseball. So you give me a 20-plus, 25-home run guy, whatever, decent average, handful of stolen bases. He doesn't strike out much at all. He increases walk rate. Um, he, has, he has barrel one-ups, our hit rate up. Everything was a, a boon when it came to Josh Naylor. I think we're still just touching the, the, the tip of the ice with him because he really hasn't got fair run until now. He's going to be 26, still super young. I'm a big Josh Naylor fan. I think he could be like the Nathaniel Lowe of this year, potentially, if the playing time's there when it comes to just taking that kind of next step, at least in fantasy terms, where people realize who he really is. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Josh Taylor, obviously. That's funny. I thought this whole time you were talking about Josh Bell, who's my guy <laughs> that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, and they're very similar. That's the funny part. When they signed him, I, I literally was like, where's the Spider-Man meme? Like, <laughs> they're so similar. But, yeah, give me some Josh Bell. This is just your guy. Yeah, I mean, um, I just think that there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to like um, in Josh Bell. I mean, like you said, I think you know, I think he and from what I've seen in the media and them talking, the plan is to play both of them. Um, you know, be- rotating in at DH uh, outfield, like you mentioned, potentially for Naylor, um, Josh Bell. I just think he's like all around. He's still really solid. You know, the batting average has been plus every year, except for one, you know, last year he hit 266, um, right around the same Babbitt. He cut his strikeout rate. Like you mentioned, increased his walk rate as well. You know, the ground ball rate is never going to be, you know, uh, anything to write home about. It's very Vlad jr. Esque. But, um, you know, he still had 33 barrels, only hit the 17 home runs, you know, so a little bit lucky, unlucky there. If you look at his pulled um, uh, fly ball, um, a home run per fly ball, it was down last year by 50% over the previous year. So I think that changes a little bit. He's going to the Guardians Stadium, which is one of the better left-handed parks um, in all of baseball. I think he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. So I think there's no reason to believe he can't hit 260 plus with more than 20 home runs, very solid run in RBI, you know, and you're getting him, you know, uh, what around pick 200. Is that where we're at right now with Josh Bell? Yeah. yeah. Right around pick 200. He's like a round before Naylor. So you can almost just get them both. If you wanted to lock up first, I'm not saying that's the strategy, but they're very solid players for at that point in the draft. Yeah. For sure. And I think one theme that you highlighted earlier that I think is is important is you have a bunch of guys that were going, you know, in that middle range who leapt up because of the, the seasons they had last year. And you got to just trying to figure out what what is the true talent level there yep. and then um, adjusting uh, accordingly. And I think was was Josh Bell at about his True well, talent was, level, maybe was last a, he, year. He was in that Crone and Hoskins range last year, that bubble. And he those was. guys went up and he came down. And was Bell really that bad? I know that's what you're yeah. trying to say. I probably should have just let you kept going. But like, no, no, no. No, I mean, out. that's exactly it, right? Is like all these guys who last year were going around the same spot, you know, because we thought they were pretty similar players. Um, Go for the guy that was still pretty good, but just not necessarily the power numbers maybe weren't what we wanted them to be. And let's, and let's, let's look at Josh Bell farther. Like just from a non, like nothing that you'll see on fan graphs. The dude played on a bad team in Washington, got traded mid season, 
Then he was like in San Diego where there's a lot of good players, but you could tell he was not the same hitter for a while. Like he looks lost at the plate. Now he's going to start a season in Cleveland. They call home, sign a contract. He's going to be there for a bit. I'm just saying like there's we, – we always joke well, – we don't joke. We don't talk about enough, in my opinion, the mental aspect of the game because I play baseball a lot, not to this extent, obviously, not major league level. But there's – you know, when you come in just to the stadium and your personal life ain't right, that will 100% affect your play at the plate. I'm not saying his personal life wasn't right, but you try moving around and trying to do different things. You're, out, you're living out of hotel rooms and you're doing this and that and the other. And you can tell he wasn't comfortable for at least a month, and that's big. Yeah, and also San Diego is one of the worst left-handed hitting ballparks in all of baseball, and, and the National the Stadium is one of the best. Yeah, and so it's Cleveland. Because I remember, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll never forget it. Because I remember when Eddie, you know, the Eagle, went to Cleveland. I wrote an article three years ago or whatever, and I looked at those park factors. It stood out like a sore thumb. It is very good for left-handed hitters. Very good. Oh man, when do we get to talk about Eddie Rosario? When is that? I don't know. If, I don't, do we do uh, outfield preview part five, or how, how's that one come about? <laughs> <laughs> all right so my my last one will be quick because i think we kind of josh bell and, and josh and Hayler are probably the two favorites in this range unless you go deep deep vargas is interesting though i'm 100 with you on that one i kind of went with a young guy if you want to look into potential and look for a potential bounce back or if you want to you know throw a dart late in the draft he's adp 274 he can be a quick drop for you if you want but he's a guy that i know the talent's much better than we've seen on the field so far and that's spencer torkelson Again, this time last year, much higher ADP. This was a former first overall pick. People thought he'd be great, broke camp with the team, and he stunk. That's the nice way of putting it. It was not good. He hit 203 on the season, eight home runs, uh, but only a 24.5% K rate, which to me, when you hit that bad, that kind of stands out a little bit for me. Like, okay, he's still kind of making contact. Okay, let's let's look at that contact real quick. Um, his O-swing was only 27.7, which is interesting. Um, his overall contact was 77%. Like these aren't horrible. They're not great, but like the fact he's not chasing balls a ton kind of stands out a little bit to me. Like he's still in the zone. Just the overall contact quality is not ideal. So then I want to look at his, uh, his game logs. And one thing that stood out to me, the bad average still stinks, but you know, he got sent down for a while, came back up in September 2nd, hit three of his eight home runs in that final month. Again, it is what it is, but that's a, you know, you take almost half your home runs in one month. It's big. K rate was only 21.7 compared to 24.5 on the season. Hit 219, not ideal, still much better than the season's 203. Like there's little improvements you see when you look at Storkelson. And I'm really grasping at straws, that's where we are in the draft. Um, his O swing was slightly higher, but his overall contact rates were all the same. His actually O contact was better in the second uh, his second run. So to me, it's just, again, looking at a, a kid, basically, because he's a kid. He was in Arizona two years ago. He's going to be 23 years old this year. And projectors have him in 233, um, steamer with 18 home runs. He's better than a 233 guy. Can he make the jump this year? I don't know. The ballpark sucks. We know the that. The ballpark sucks. Yeah, that's that's and he's an opposite field guy too. And so that really sucks for him. Um, so I get it if you don't want this guy. I don't know if I'll have him. I'm just, I'm just looking at guys this late in the draft that the talent level is much better than what we're seeing on the field right now. Does he take does he make the jump enough? I don't know. If he was ever in Great American Small Park, I'd be 100 to 100 leagues with this guy probably. But that ballpark alone should probably tell you, Bubby, you're an idiot. Stop talking. Um, it's just I know the talent's better. And that's a guy that one of these years might not be this next year, but you also probably won't get this ADP next year. He's going to take a big jump. So if you want to take a gamble of a guy that, hey, put him on your bench for the first couple of weeks and be one of your first drops, cool. Maybe he strikes gold because 
all it takes is a hot spring training, and then you know people go, oh, he hits great, and forget he goes to Comerica after that. But um, yeah, I just want to mention Spencer Torkelson. I think he's much better than this ADP says. I get why he's there because it was horrific last year, but he's a much better ball player than this, and he's only twenty three. And I think much better days are to come. That's my two cents. Yeah, I, just to highlight one of the things you mentioned. I mean, that Detroit Park with the new ball is just so a god forsaken place. Um, if you look at the 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 laggards, not the leaders of home runs per barrel across baseball, it's riddled with tigers. Riley Green, Torkelson, all these guys. And I don't know what exactly to do with it about it, except for not draft guys. I mean, Torkelson, like you mentioned, like he's going so deep in drafts and has such pedigree that it's a little bit of a different, different proposition. But man, it's it's absolutely brutal, like you mentioned. It's not not pleasant at all. All right, got a couple of listener questions before we head on out of here on a Monday night. Our buddy Ben Ted, breaking Ben underscore T on the Twitter there. I know it'll be maybe a little premature for this question, but based on the lack of depth at other positions, how early would you be comfortable drafting a first baseman? Do you think taking one inside the top 100 would put you in a hole in terms of roster construction and possibly steals? Now, this is a fun question because I just did a gladiator draft with Ben, and he's doing research for other drafts as well. And the gladiator, for what it's really good for, it's obviously different ADP because the way you fill your roster out, but it also shows you quickly what positions suck. Like third base is a mess and other positions – but, Toby, it kind of goes to our question here. We talked about, like, the top four or five guys. There's, you know, a handful in the top 100. But it gets bad quick. And I think to to explain Ben's question more to the listeners, it's like, you know you're going to want to get a couple of pitchers early, relievers, starters, whatever you want to do in general. Some might want to get a catcher early. You know, outfield, you have five outfielders. You probably want to get at least one early in the top 100. Like, there's certain ways to construct your roster you're going to want to do. So what Ben's asking, Toby, as you understood, is, do you feel comfortable taking a top 100 pick on a first baseman and maybe hurting another position? Are you comfortable waiting on first base is essentially what Ben's asking here. I think I'm cool waiting on first base if I need to. Um, I mean, like, like, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all relative, you know, it's like, I feel all right getting grabbing Josh Bell at pick 200. I mean, there's even guys that are further down here. Like, yeah. God, if Garrett Cooper could actually find a place I just outside dra- of... I just drafted him in round 41 of my NPC 50. I, that's yeah. my third first baseman. I'm 100% with you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like... um, Yeah, I, I just Trey think... Trey Mancini, let's see where he signs. Maybe Cincinnati signs. Yeah, Trey Mancini's fine. I mean, I, I don't know why a team wouldn't want him... Uh, Matt Mervis taking a, a little bit of a shot on him to see what he can potentially do. Are, are we all out on Joey Votto at pick 374? I mean, why not be back in on at Joey that, Votto at, at, that, at that ADP? I'm honest. At that ADP, yeah. why not? And he's still in the same ballpark, folks. <laughs> why not? I mean, DJ LeMahieu, I know he's there's like injury concerns, so we got to be mindful of that. But what about Tristan Casas? I mean, I, he looked fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, the results weren't there, but he looked prepared to face major league hitting. Like so where does Brandon Bell get signed? I know he gets hurt a lot, but ADP 480, if he gets in a good ballpark, like <laughs> what do you have to lose? Yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I think it's just generally like one of those questions and, and, you know, Ben's a great player, so he knows this too, yep. but it's like, you know, it's all relative to one another. It's like, if you're, if you didn't draft one of those top first basemen, like you're getting something else. If you do draft one of those top first basemen, 
all right, you've got the edge in first base over other folks, but you don't have this other thing. Or you have to draft some positions later on. And honestly, looking at first base, you know, I feel decent about like the options that are that are out there and that are available. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's I don't mind it as a position. And even as we got into like the middle rounds, I mean, the Mount Castle, France, you know, those guys, I, I don't mind that at all. I think it just goes back to also it's a couple things real quick. Um, doing drafts early or the biggest thing is this is how you use ADP. People like get mad about using ADP. Look at it like you just said there. If I don't, if I do take a first baseman early, what do I miss out on? Okay, I didn't take a shortstop per se. Am I good with a shortstop post 150 now instead of a first baseman? Or like so on, like, like that's what Toby's basically saying. So use the ADP in that respect. Like, you know, as you chart out your just for fun, just chart out your draft. How do you think it would go? And are you good with that change? And that that's kind of where he's, where he's at there. Um, the second thing is totally brain farted on that. My second one, but I'll figure it out later. Well, yeah. Another, like you mentioned, work that draft backwards, you know, yeah. like what are build, you going to take later on? Some very, very smart people like Jenny Butler comes out with an article every year. She's talked about it on shows. She legit has like a flow chart. Like if a go to B, if not go to C, like she has a whole thing and it's like, it's pretty darn genius personally. So a lot smarter people. All right. Let's put it that way. All right. Next listener question here. Thank you, Ben. Um, you don't want that. Uh, Steve Powell, we got you, buddy. He said, just need an extended discussion on Vinny P. I think we got that one in the bags already. Yes, we Apologies. We, we really, really like Vinny P. We don't like Vinny P's ADP. I guess the nicest way to say it. <laughs> like, I, I hope he succeeds. And I hope, like, I hope I'm wrong. Let's put it that way. But, Toby, let me double check Twitter real quick. That might be it. That is it. Two questions this week. It's the off season. I won't get mad. It's the off season. You guys, we expect more, but I'm just saying it's the off season. I get it. Um, final thoughts though is first base. It's like it's almost as if either take one early or wait till like close 200. Oh, that was or, that's or, what I was, that's or, what I was gonna or ask. Or Mount you. Castle. Or my, that's what I was gonna ask you though. Okay, so and this comes back to maybe working your draft backwards or planning your draft, as you said. Now knowing you're not gonna take a guy early. Do you plan on saying, hey, Mount Castle's around 15 pick? I'm taking him in round 13 going into that draft. Like, I want to leave with Mount Castle. Or are you just going with your draft and going, okay, I missed on Mount Castle. Now I'm going to wait for Josh Bell. Like, yeah, I mean, I think because you have to push him up. I need to know I need to know more yeah. before I make that level of decision. But um, in theory, I like once like you're fully prepped, is that kind of how you would push type thing? Like going yeah, into I think going, at, I, have to I think at that level of the draft when you're in you know whatever it is I never know the round numbers but when you're in like the so difference right. between 150 pick 150 and 180 or it's you know 130 versus anymore. 150 is yeah. fairly minimal just from like a dollar perspective in terms of what they're worth maybe like a dollar or two so maybe like a couple home run difference so I think if I liked him enough then I would be all over that but I got to you know, I'm going, I'm kind of learning, I'm like going through these positions as we go through them yeah. since I haven't done a ton of, I haven't done any drafts yet and I'm not going to for a while. So you're, you're learning as I learn about, about the draft pool. And I came in not really liking first base at all, but I don't, I don't mind it at all now. It's just I, that middle part is not great. But if you like, it's either you go early or you wait essentially outside of Mount Castle, as you said, that's kind of where yeah. it looks but I mean, the position. Also like Ty France, I mean, I'm well, thinking about it, and I don't mind that either. You know, yeah, like I mean, all of a sudden, he plays, he's going to play every day, right? He is. He's going to hit for a decent average for that position with some thump. Like, there's something there. And then Rizzo, like I told you, we talked earlier. Rizzo kind of he's growing on me because 
at least we've seen it where some of these guys is just like what are we doing here like it's it's kind of crazy but uh yeah that's what'll make it fun it'll be a lot of fun we got more moves to come we got second base next week toby second base which is an interesting position as ben can attest to in these drafts um deeper than you think might not be great but much deeper than you think let's put it that way so that'll be a fun one to talk about next week. Any final thoughts, though, before we wrap it up? We'll record next week, and then we'll take the week after Christmas in between New Year's off. Tour of Shame 2.0. Hitting the road March 31st, 2023. <laughs> Hop on board now before love it's it. too late. Love it. Absolutely love it. We're looking forward to it. I cannot wait because the fact that Toby was able to find that many different gifts in 2021, that was the well, probably the most amazing part of it all. Like I would have been like using the same one after like the third try. That was Man, impressive. Does, in, in 2.0, do I have to use no, I, I think gifts that I haven't used I think before. you can start from the beginning. I think it's only fair to start from the beginning. But you have this same thing that you can't reuse throughout the season because that was yeah. impressive. That was very impressive. Cool. Uh, we'll check all that out. Again, we'll be back with you guys next week. If you guys missed it last week, we previewed catchers. A lot has changed already since then, but we told you guys going into this. This is the first look. We'll give you the full preview later on as things settle and more drafts are going on, like actual fab leagues are going on, and, and the fun really begins. But uh, for now, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at Pediatric. This was Bub and BatFlip, episode 139. Catch you guys next time. That's going to wrap us up for episode 235 of the Batflip Crazy podcast and edition number 139 of Bubba and the Batflip. Hope you enjoyed that uh, discussion. A little uh, Jose Abreu and Ryan Mountcastle love. Um, Some good late round first base targets as well. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, Thanks as always for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research, all those gladiator drafts people are doing. Uh, Take care and be kind to one another.